know, those of you that knew Larry Dumont, he was in this church for like the last 30 years. Larry passed away this past week, and they are going to be having visiting hours this coming Friday from 4 to 7 at Bruitt's Funeral Home here in Raymond. And so if you want to pay your respects, you can. They are going to be having, I think, a graveside service, but plans haven't been um, solidified for that just yet, but just for your uh, awareness. So let's go ahead and return thanks on our offering this morning. Father, we're so thankful to have the opportunity to give back to you as you do what you do, which is build your kingdom. And we're so delighted to be a part of that kingdom building process. And we pray that you'd use the resources that we gladly give back to you to do that very thing, to preach the gospel around the world. We do pray for the people of the Ukraine, that God, you would give them a tremendous revival, that their faith wouldn't just be in their nationalism, but that it would be in you and in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we pray for peace in our world, that you are the Prince of Peace. We thank you for all these things. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. God bless you as you give and enjoy our announcements. Hi, y'all. Zach Ramos here. I'd like to invite all young adults, ages 18 to 25, to our young adults group. We meet once a week on Saturdays at 6.30. We schedule events by ear, so we will post any of the events we are doing on the church's Facebook page or other relevant social media. So keep your eye out, and if you'd like to come by, come and enjoy some God-based fellowship. For over a year now, we have been running discovery groups in our church. We start them and we stop them. We're getting ready to start them up again for a six-week length of time. That's very doable for every one of you. Discovery groups are so important because it's unlike any other Bible study. As a matter of fact, there is no teaching that goes on. It's simply a facilitator that you look at a portion of Scripture, questions are asked, and you get to experience God in real time. You get to look into the Scriptures and ask yourself, what do you see about humanity? What do you see about God? And what is God asking you to do in that portion of Scripture? It's very powerful, sweeping the world, as a matter of fact. So we're excited about getting ready to launch for a six-week period of time. And I'm really excited about the content. So this is how it's going to unfold. March 13th, we have a creation scientist coming to New Life Church. That week, we are starting our discovery group. So you'll be in Genesis chapter 1, just looking about creation. And then after that, March 20th, March 27th, and April 3rd, I'm going to be doing a series on the baptism in the Holy Spirit. You're going to be looking at scriptures, dealing with that and going a little deeper and just seeking what God has for you. And then on April 10th, we have Jews for Jesus that's coming, and they're going to be doing a Seder presentation or a Passover presentation. So we're going to be looking at scriptures about the Passover. And again, just having this discovery time with God. And then, of course, April 17th is Easter Sunday morning. I'm going to be preaching a message on if there was a God and he stepped into our world, what would that look like? Simple salvation message, going to be encouraging you to bring somebody with you. That's why we call it Easter Friend Day. Bring a friend with you to church. They're going to hear the gospel in very plain language. But then that week after, which will be the sixth week of our discovery groups, you're going to be looking at some of those texts about what did it look, for, what did it look like for Jesus to show up. So get involved. There's going to be sign-up sheets available on our registration table. We need hosts, families. We need facilitators, and we need you to be part of a group. Okay, good morning, everybody, again. 
Glad to see you. I do want to just uh, mention one thing really quickly that um, our discovery groups, if you haven't signed up, you can still sign up. We have um, 11 groups with over 80 people signed up in groups. So it's really awesome. We've never had a turnout like this. It's going to be a lot, a lot of fun. So if you haven't yet, get signed up in a group. Also, I want to remind you, tomorrow at 6 o'clock, it starts our 24-hour block of prayer. If you haven't signed up, as you're leaving the sanctuary, right to the right, you're going to see a flip chart with all the half-hour segments. They're already all full, so we're really thankful for that. But go ahead and pick another time and sign up because the more people praying, the better it is. And we're just praying for God to just pour out his spirit on our groups and on our services and to see some really cool things happening. So that's awesome stuff. Okay, so I have a really good friend that went bald. Um, he still carries a comb. Uh, he just can't part with it. Yeah, I know. And uh, here's a good piece of advice to live by. Um, never criticize somebody until you've walked a mile in their shoes. Uh, because that way, when you do criticize them, you're a mile away and you've got their shoes. Uh, so it works out pretty good. <laughs> so we're actually concluding a three-part series on the book of Romans. We're only going from Romans chapter 1 to chapter 11. Because we're looking at this unfolding of God's grace to humanity. And we looked at, like, in chapter 1... Um, Paul comes out strong saying this is all about the gospel and the gospel means good news He says the gospel of God our God is a good news God. Amen. We look around the world We see pandemics. We see war. We see crazy things We see a lot of bad news But we have to remind ourselves that what God brings to the table is good news and Paul says I'm not ashamed of this gospel. It's the power of God into salvation It's all through the person of Jesus Christ and faith in his name and he starts out really strong This is the gospel the gospel the gospel and then he says because The wrath of God has been revealed from heaven And so he brings in this contrast all of a sudden we're talking about grace and God's love and good news and then all of a sudden Wrath and the contrast is so important that we understand that grace is grace when it is contrasted against the wrath of God against sin. And so for chapters 2 and chapters 3, Paul paints the most bleak picture of a person that is lost without Christ in the world. And he talks about their character, their conduct, their speech, everything, and he just pours it on. And he says the Jewish world is condemned and the pagan world is condemned. The whole world is condemned and under a sentence of condemnation. And if it ended there, it would be horrible. But then he goes into chapters 4, 5, 6, 7, and 8, and he talks about God does this work through the person of Jesus that brings in justification, that he makes us look in the eyes of God just as if we had never sinned. That's good news. And then he brings in sanctification, that God works in our life, and he's never going to stop working in our lives from now until we die to better us, to make us more to the image of Jesus. And then thirdly, he's going to one day glorify us, and he's going to release creation to the glory of the children of God. And what a day that's going to be. We can't, we can't even really like uh, fathom what that's going to be like, but this glorification is going to be huge. And so as, as Paul goes through this, we talked last week that the cross of Christ is like the lightning rod of God, right? God's judgment was like lightning. It was due to come upon us, but instead it goes on Christ. And so this Larry, uh, Larry Bartlett sent me this picture, this great big church, and their lightning rod is literally the cross up on top of that spire. So I don't know if you can see it that good, but there it is. Um, and so literally that's a great picture to burn in our minds that, that God didn't just excuse our sin. God didn't just say, I'm going to give you a pass. God said, no, my wrath has got to be satisfied. Jesus becomes the propitiation of our sins. He becomes the payment and the satisfaction of God's wrath. 
So it wasn't like our forgiveness was just handed to us. No, it was paid for. Jesus paid for it on the cross. So we get this revelation of the unfathomable love of God displayed on the cross of Jesus Christ. You should never get sidetracked in looking for a feeling or looking for some kind of sign to tell you anything more than what the cross has already decreed, that God loves us, he sent his son to die for us, that is the greatest revelation of God's love. And this is love, not that we love him, but that he loved us first and sent his son to be the propitiation of our sins. And so that's what that's all about. So it's really cool, it's really awesome. We ended up that chapter 8 in Romans, like who can separate us from the love of God in Christ? Like nobody can, it's really, really awesome. But a problem begins to occur in the ancient world. And we will never understand Romans chapter 9, 10, and 11 unless we understand it against the backdrop of history. Because when you read Romans chapter 9, 10, and 11, it's real easy to get lost. It's real easy to say, what in the world just happened? Like we just switched gears. We're on a completely different set of train tracks now. And what's going on? So I want to unpack a little bit of the history. So the Jewish believers... Uh, in the Roman Empire, are really concerned. Now remember, Rome is the epicenter of the empire. So anything that happens in Rome is going to spread quickly. And what they were doing is they were looking at the fact that the Jewish nation, by large, rejected Christ. John chapter 1, verse 14, he came unto his own, and his own did not receive him. And because of that, a few years later, in the year 70 A.D., the Roman general Titus moved into Jerusalem. He sacked the city. He burned the temple, which caused the gold to run in between the blocks. The Roman soldiers, after the gold, literally dissembled, dissembled the temple block by block by block. It was destroyed. They murdered over a million Jews, and the Jews scattered, and the nation was no longer there. Gone. And so people are saying, wait a minute. What about all of the Old Testament promises that God was going to use Israel for future glory and for a future kingdom? And all of a sudden it's like, how can that be? It's gone. And so they started questioning the Bible. When you start questioning the word of God, everything begins to unravel really quickly. That's why there are so many people that sow demonic thoughts of, evolution right we came from monkeys because that undoes the gospel that jonah and the whale is um, you know just a mythology that the flood of the earth mythology chip away at the message and then after a while you don't know what to believe so paul has this monumentous job of stopping a bad rumor from spreading out of rome to the entire roman empire that that the promises of the old testament fail that the nation is gone, and that God didn't fulfill his word. So we look at it, and it starts off with Israel's past and God's sovereignty. And when we look at that, we've got a problem, and we've got an explanation that needs to take place. So um, Paul says in Romans chapter 9, I'm not going to do all the scripture, but verses 1 through 5, Paul says that there were eight things that God did to the nation of Israel that made them a peculiar people among all the nations of the world. And it was, number one, he adopted them as his very own out of all the nations of the world. Secondly was that he gave them glory. He gave them his very presence in their midst. The third thing was is that he made covenants with them, right? The Abrahamic covenant with Abraham, the Mosaic covenant with Moses, the Davidic covenant with David, all of these different things. 
The other thing was is he gave them the law, the Ten Commandments, which become became the, the, the basis of every civilized civilization that gravitated towards like, hey, these are great principles. The other, the other one was the temple, the temple services, the priesthood, the sacrifice, all that thing. And then the promises. He gave them promises of a land. He gave them promises that they would be the blessing of all the nations. And then seventh, he gave them the fathers or the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and then all of the prophets, all of their kings and their leaders. And then lastly, number nine, he gives them Messiah himself, that Jesus comes through the lineage of the Jewish people. And so here they are, they're thinking like, well, you know, if God did all of these things for the Jewish nation, and yet we've just watched the destruction, the slaughter, the dispersion. They're no longer really a people. They're no longer in their land. That was going to happen for almost 2,000 years. And so what happened? So Paul begins to explain this in 9, 10, and 11, and we're just going to kind of go through it a little bit. In verse 6 of chapter 9, he says, but it is not as though the word of God has failed. So see, this is the question they're asking. Did the word of God fail? Because if the Old Testament failed, how do we have any trust in what God is promising us through this person of Jesus Christ? Paul is going to get into this big, huge thing of predestination and free will. And they come out two different doctrines. You've heard it probably of Calvinism and Arminianism. Calvin was a theologian that said God predetermines who's going to get saved and who's going to go to hell. And then Arminius was another theologian that said, no, 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 the Bible teaches us that there's free will, that we have a choice to play in all of this. So Paul starts navigating through all of this. And, um, and he starts unpacking some concepts. And the first one in verses 9 and 13 is Abraham. He says, God made a promise to Abraham, and Abraham had two children. Abraham had Ishmael through his handmaiden, Hagar, and then he also had Isaac through Sarah. But God chose Isaac and did not choose Ishmael. And so it sounds like there's a selection where God's choosing one over the other. But we need to remind ourselves that God had always chosen Isaac. Isaac was God's plan. Ishmael was Abraham's plan, right? He was trying to, he got a little tired of growing old and not having a child, so he tried to do it on his own. And God was saying, no, that's, I'm going to work things out after the counsel of my will, not your will. And that's a great lesson for us to learn, right? Right? God's working things out after his will, not necessarily our will. The second one becomes a little bit more difficult because then Paul starts talking about Jacob and Esau. So Isaac has children, and actually his wife Rebecca has twins, Jacob and Esau. So they're of the same parents at the same time, under the same condition, and yet God said, I have chosen Jacob the younger, and the older will serve the younger. So, wow, well, there's choice right there. God made a choice before they were even out of the womb. And so he based it not on their actions, but just on his choice. He can bless who he wants, and, and he can curse who he wants. We have to ask ourselves, just outside of the box, does that sound fair? Does that sound like a God of love that he creates people and then he just says, you're going to hell and you're going to be saved because that's just how I roll? It doesn't even sound like it lines up with the character or the nature of God. So there's a big difference between foreknowledge and predestination. Just because God knows something's going to happen doesn't mean he's making it happen especially if there's this thing called free will in there. So God's foreknowledge knew that Esau, who was the firstborn, was going to sell his birthright for a bowl of soup. I hope that was good soup. 
Because the birthright had really good promises. The birthright meant you were like the next patriarch in line. It had huge blessings in that patriarchal system. And so God's foreknowledge knew he's going to sell this birthright thing for a bowl of soup, so my choice is going to be for Jacob. He's going to have more of a heart towards me than Esau's going to have. So was that predestination or was that simply God's foreknowledge? Then he brings in this other one, and we're going to look at this, Romans 9, 17 and 18. The scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose I raised you up to demonstrate my power in you, that my name might be proclaimed throughout the whole earth. So then he has mercy on whom he desires, and he hardens whom he desires. So this sounds like, wow, God raised up Pharaoh, hardened Pharaoh's heart. God made that choice to display his, his, his strength and deliver you know, Israel out of Egypt. And, and that that's, becomes a theological issue and a theological problem. But what does the Bible tell us? The Bible tells us to study to show yourself approved. And the Bible tells us that we have to look at the whole counsel of the word of God. Because when you go back to Exodus and look at Exodus 15, chapter 8, 15, it says, when Pharaoh saw that there was relief, he hardened his heart and did not listen to them as the Lord had said. So here, Pharaoh is hardening his own heart. He's making a choice. As a matter of fact, out of two or three witnesses, let every fact be established, the Bible says, because it also says this in verse 15. It also says it in verse 32 again, that Pharaoh hardened his own heart. And in chapters 9, 34, it says, Pharaoh hardened his own heart. And so what is all of that? What's going on? So Paul says this in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4. Hey, listen, if, if your head's spinning, this is like college level, okay? I'm not up here giving you three points in a poem. I'm really like unpacking some theology here for you. And you're probably like, oh, I don't know if this applies to me. Well, wait till the next time when you read chapters 9, 10, and 11 in Romans, and you're going to be like, what the heck is this? You're going to be like, oh, I get it now. I understand it in context. This is important because the foundation of our faith is based on the re reliability of Scripture, right? We got nothing else to go on but by the Word of God, and so it has to be it has to be true. So Paul says this in Ephesians chapter one, verses four and five. Just as He chose us, oh, He does choose us. He chose every one of you. Just as He chose us in Him, there's the hinge. He chose us in him before the foundations of the world that we would be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us, well, there it is, to the adoption of sons through Jesus Christ to himself according to the kind intentions of his will. So here's the deal. Does God do predestination? Yes, he does. He predestined Jesus Christ to be our sacrifice and by being our sacrifice to become heir of all things. The Bible says he's summing up everything that was created in Jesus Christ. So Jesus is predestined for everything. The kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms of our Christ and of his God, right? So all of these things are in Christ. So I like to tell people it's like this. If there's a plane leaving Boston at noon today, well, actually, five minutes, you wouldn't make it, um, so, but if there was a plane leaving Boston at noon today, and it was going to Reno, Nevada, right? The plane is predestined, but you are not. If you bought a ticket, and if you're there in five minutes and get on that plane, guess what? You're going to Reno. But if you're not there, you ain't going anywhere. And so Jesus is predestined to be heir of all things. If I am in Christ, 
I'm predestined for glory. I'm predestined for heaven. I'm predestined for salvation. But if I harden my own heart, and if I make a choice that I don't want that, I don't want that religion stuff, get away from me. I don't believe that. That's the problem with the world. All of man's problems revolve around religion. I don't want to hear it. Well, then I'm making a choice. And I am now predestined as well. I am predestined to destruction. In Christ, I'm predestined for heaven, for glory, for everything that God has for me. So he goes on in chapters 9, verse 22, and he says this. What if God, although willing to demonstrate his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction? And this sounds like, wow, see, God prepared people for destruction. But here's the problem. We read the Bible in English, right? When we say that one of our doctrines of the historic biblical church is that the Bible is the infallible, inerrant word of God, what we're saying is in the original texts, they are inspired of God. Sometimes we lose things in translation. And so in the Greek, because it's different languages have different contexts, and so in the Greek, there's this thing called the middle voice, which means that what this verse is saying is that man prepared himself for destruction. And God's part in it is that he is enduring that. Because the Bible says he's unwilling that anyone should perish. See, just that verse alone is incompatible with predestination. How can God predestine people to hell and then yet say, I'm unwilling that anyone should perish? That wouldn't even make sense if he's the one that's doing it, right? So God is enduring the fact that people are choosing not to align themselves with his way of salvation. And man is preparing himself for destruction, but God does prepare them for glory. The very next verse says this, And he did so to make known the riches of his glory upon vessels of mercy, which he prepared beforehand. See, the other verse said that they, pre they prepared themselves for wrath, but God prepares them for heaven. We can't prepare ourselves for heaven. But God prepares us. When we're in Christ, that whole process of sanctification is he's preparing us for heaven. The whole process of glorification is he's preparing us for heaven. Because we don't go to heaven like we are right now. Hallelujah. Right? Can you say an amen? If we all went to heaven the way we were right now, I don't think heaven would be heaven. I mean, there's got to be different things in heaven. I can't go to heaven with this brain, right? Because this brain thinks bad thoughts. So there's got to be a glorification. There's got to be a transformation that takes place. And this is, what, this is what he's talking about, that man prepares himself for destruction by making a bad choice. But when we choose to be in Christ, God does prepare us for eternal glory. And so I like to use the illustration again of butter and wax. You take two pieces, you take a stick of butter and an identical weight and size stick of wax. They're both pliable. They're both somewhat soft. Take them and put them out in the sun. And what's going to happen? One is going to melt and one is going to harden and turn into a brick. It's not the problem of the sun. The sun isn't determining which one it's going to melt, which one it's going to uh, harden. It's just doing what it does. So the consistency of the material itself is just proving what's in it. So God is God, and he just shines on everyone, and the gospel is for everyone. Some people soften and accept Christ, and some people harden their own hearts. And the gospel only reveals what is in that person's heart and what the choices are that they are making. And this is sort of what Paul was referring to in 2 Corinthians 2.15 when he says this. We are a fragrance of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. 
to one an aroma from death to death, to the other an aroma from life to life, who's adequate for these things. So what's he saying? He's saying, listen, as believers in Christ, we live our lives in the world, we let our light shine, and it ticks some people off. Oh, you're one of those Jesus freaks, you're a Bible thumper. And others, it softens. Like, how come you have so much hope in you? Like, like how come there's something different about your life, right? So it's the same thing. It, it, we're, we even display the same thing. This is what he's talking about here. Some, where some were an aroma to death. We're, we're, you're condemned. Others to life. And so it goes on in Acts chapter 19, verse 9. And it says this. Some were, hard, were becoming hardened. Some were becoming hardened and disobedient, speaking evil of the way before the people. And he, Paul, withdrew himself and took away the disciples, reasoning daily in the school of Tyrannus. So what's going on? He's preaching the gospel and some are being hardened. Paul's not the one that's determining whether they're going to be hardened. God's not the one that's determined. They're making a choice of free will. And Paul was, Paul was teaching in the school of Tyrannus. Now, just a little side note about the school of Tyrannus. There were actually two students. Uh, there was Bill and Rex. And um, they, both, they both skipped school one day, and Tyrannus saw them. And so, like, Bill alarmed his buddy, and he said, Hey, Tyrannosaurus Rex. Dude, it is tough living in here. I'll tell you, I just see things so different than normal people, right? Darlene has to put up with us. I look at that and I like, I'm off on this, you know, rabbit. Um, but it's interesting. Okay, so we go to Hebrews chapter 4, verse 7. He fixes again a certain day, today, saying through David, after so long a time, just as it has been said before, today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. Now, why would God say don't harden your heart if he's the one that's ultimately hardening your heart, whether you like it or not? Right? So he's saying, listen, don't, if you hear God speaking to you, if you feel like God's tapping on the shoulder, if you feel like God's trying to communicate how much he loves you and he sent Christ to die in your place, don't harden your heart to that. Jump on that while there's an opportunity to jump. And so strong, you know, unwavering election and predestination is sort of doesn't make sense outside of the foreknowledge of God and the free will of man. And so what Paul is trying to communicate is God was showing a way of salvation that was outside of national Israel. Because up to that point, if you wanted to be in a relationship with God, you had to be part of Israel. And God is now doing something completely different. So point number two, Israel's present condition, okay, and God's righteousness. What, what's that all about? So now Paul gets into Romans chapter 9, verse 30. What shall we say then? The Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness attain righteousness, even the righteousness which is by faith. Israel, pursuing a law of righteousness, did not arrive at that law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith. But as though it were by works, they stumbled over the stumbling stone, just as written, Behold, I lay a stone in a stumbling and a rock of offense, and he who believes in him will not be disappointed. So what's happening is, is Paul is saying, listen, guys, this is what happened. This is why Israel has kind of like been blown out of the water here temporarily. It's because God, put a, God took a sharp right. He put his directionals on, but he took a sharp right. He says, I raised up Israel for this purpose, that out of Israel would come Christ. And now it's all about Christ, and it's faith in Christ alone. And this is the way of salvation. The Jews are still over here like, hey, we're in covenant with God, and if we keep the law, and if we try to be really, really, really good we're earned points with God and we'll be saved. And they're missing it. They're coming up with their own righteousness, which is by works. If I can be good enough, I think I can get into heaven. 
And he's saying they've missed it. It's, it, it's, it they've, they've stumbled over the stone of offense, which is Christ. It's like, well, what are you talking about now? It's no longer like a religion. It's no longer I have to do this and don't do that and don't do that and do this. Now it's just simply believing. Yeah, that becomes really problematic for a lot of people. Because we have a nature where we feel we want to earn it and then we don't feel so bad because I deserve this. I've been a good person. And when we go back into chapters 2 and 3, what do we see? You can't be a good person. You can't be a good person. You'll never be good enough. So this is what Paul is talking about. So there comes their rejection of Messiah. God didn't make it. God didn't make them disobey. He was reaching out to them. They hardened their heart. And here's sinful Gentiles receiving life, and the Jews are hardening their hearts and being rejected. Why? Because they thought by being obedient to the Ten Commandments, God would credit to that of their account, and he would owe them salvation. If I keep the Ten Commandments, God owes we'll all go to heaven. We can all be good people and go to heaven. And that's just not, you know, the, the Bible says that narrow is the path that leads to life and broad is the path that leads to destruction, right? So the message of salvation becomes a huge offense. This is what Paul mentions in 1 Corinthians one twenty three. We preach Christ crucified to the Jews, a stumbling block. What do you mean, Christ? He's not our Messiah. We were looking for a David that was going to come and break us free from Roman oppression. This guy comes and dies on a cross. Well, like, like, what is that? It doesn't do anything for our nation. This was so ingrained in them that what was the last question even the disciples asked Jesus before he ascended? Is it at this time you will restore the kingdom to Israel? They're still, like, even the disciples are still on this, like, it's all about Israel. It's all about being a Jew. And God is like, dude, I'm pulling this ship out of port. We're going in a different way. It's all, on, it's, all on, it's all on Christ. It's all on what he's done for us. So they get stuck on human effort. And this is where a lot of people are. This is where all the religions of the world are, by the way. They're all works-based. You do, and it will be credited to you, and you can earn. And the Bible says you can't earn your way into heaven on your best day. Because you are so fallen that even when you think you're doing good, the motives are probably wrong to begin with. So it's not going to work. And that's why Paul says this in Romans 10 too, For I testify about them that they have a zeal for God, but not in accordance with knowledge. Like, man, they're, they're, they're on fire for God. They love the Pharisees. You know, we give the Pharisees a bad rap. We think of Phariseeism as hip hypocrites. You know, you're a Pharisee. You're a hypocrite. Pharis means burning. They were burning hot for God. They were doing the best they could under their law system. Do you know why they were doing that? Because they watched their history of their nation that when they slid away from God, they ended up in captivity for 70 years. And they said, we're going to make sure that that never happens again. We're going to burn hot for God and we're going to obey every little thing about the law. So they had a lot of zeal, but they missed the knowledge of God. Because God was like, dude, it is not about a nation. I used you as a stepping stone to bless the world through you, which includes you, but it's all through Jesus Christ. It's everything is through Jesus Christ. And that's the simplicity of the gospel that Paul mentions in verse 9. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart that God raised from the dead, you'll be saved. Like, now cut the house. Can it really be that simple? Yeah. If my heart is in it, if this is what I want, if this is like, you know, how can I neglect so great a salvation? How can I neglect this great love of God demonstrated and poured out on the cross? And if I confess that with my mouth, believe in my heart, I'm saved. It's like he did it all. He did it all. And so Paul says this in verse 12, so huge. There's no distinction between Jew or Greek. 
For the same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches to all who call upon him. God is an equal opportunity employer, right? It's like he's saying, listen, it doesn't matter Jew or Greek. God is God of everyone. And if everyone comes to him simply by confessing in what he's done and confessing their sin and rushing to the forgiveness that comes through the cross, he says he's ready to pour out riches on all of them. Jew or Greek. Male or female. Rich or poor. Educated or illiterate. Gay or straight. Sinful or supposedly a saint. Clean or unclean. He's the same Lord of all. And when people turn to him, they're going to find salvation. It's not based on behavior. Religion is based on behavior. Christianity is based on a relationship of a God who took our place and did it all himself. He did it all. And we're just submitting to him now out of love. So it's no longer works. It's no longer I have to do this. It's now out of love. I want to do this. God, I want what you want. And so he tapped me on the shoulder and he said, I don't want you doing drugs. Okay, let's not do drugs anymore. Taps me on the shoulder. I don't want you drinking booze anymore. You're getting drunk all the time. Okay. Taps me on the shoulder. Ken, I don't want you smoking cigarettes again. Okay. And all this time, I'm crying out to him. I can't do this without you. I can't stop these things. I need you to help. It's not because I had to. It's not because there was a law that says, if you don't do this, you're going to lose your salvation. No, I'm in Christ. What can separate me? Nothing. But I want to. And this is what happens that, you know, here's what happens is a lot of people get saved and they come to the cross and they're saved and they're excited and then they work themselves back under a law that now I have to act a certain way because I'm a Christian. And they go back under like laws. And there are no laws. What is the greatest law? To love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and your neighbor as yourself. Like everything is in that. That's all we have to do. Love God. So we have to evangelize ourselves to what he says. If I love God, I'm going to love what God loves. Isn't that right? When you meet that one that takes your breath away. You know, she bats her eyelashes in your dose. You know, she's just like, oh, hey, yeah. And she's looking at him like he's such a hunk of, hunk of burning love, you know. And all of a sudden, like, whatever they want to do, you'll do. Like, you know what? Like, like, like they're in the skydiving. Like, uh, no. Like, that's a hard pass. Next thing you know, you're jumping out of a plane. Because love is blind, right? We do crazy things. Like, I'll do anything you want to do. That's what it is with Christ. Like, God, whatever you want. So we read scriptures about, like, tithing. Well, I am, I am going to give 10% of my money to God. Well, then don't. I'm going to preach on tithing because it's in the Word of God. But if it offends you, then don't do it. I'm going to preach on the baptism of the Holy Spirit. If it offends you, then don't worry about it, right? It's between you and Christ. But when you love God, you tend to want the things that God wants. You tend to love the things that God I don't want to go to church, a bunch of phony hypocrites. I hate people. Well, guess what? God loves people, and God loves, like, we're a family, right? And, and you know, do, are there any perfect families? You know what I'm saying? Like, I grew up with four other siblings and you know what I mean? I, I was perfect, but the rest of them were dysfunctional. It was, it was, that was made it hard for me. It's like, I'm perfect. And they're like dysfunctional. They got issues. Um, so, so, so all of this is, all of this is happening. And so, so we go on and um, the, the, the plenty of opportunities. Oh my gosh. God gave them 
plenty and plenty of opportunities. Um, and so this is what Paul says in Romans 10, 21. But as for Israel, he said, all day long I have stretched out my hands to a disobedient and obstinate people. God wasn't hardening them. God wasn't like chastising, punishing them. God was saying, man, I'm, like, I'm, I'm reaching out to you guys because I love you guys. We are in covenant and I love you guys, but like you're missing it. You're still thinking it's all about the law and it's not. It's all about Christ. And so Romans, the book of Romans, reveals human responsibility. If anything, Christianity is not a religion. It's a choice. And it's a relationship, right? And this is what God said all the way back in Deuteronomy. It's all in the scriptures. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today. I've set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Choose, therefore, that you may live, you and your descendants. What's he saying? He's saying it's a choice. You've got to make a choice. So now we move on to Israel's future condition and God's faithfulness. There's never been a nation on planet earth like the Jewish people. You look at their history, and the involvement of God in their history is absolutely amazing. And then we look at the other nations, right? Where are the Jebusites? Where are the Hivites? Where's the Girgashites? Where's the Philistines? Where are the Moabites? These were all other nations, just as big and powerful as Israel. Where are they today? Gone in antiquity. And yet, Israel is still here. Even after Hitler's extermination, of course, Stalin and Lenin, they also did terrible things. And yet, ever since the days of Abraham, for like the last 4,000 years, Israel is still here today. And it was only relatively in our lifetime that through the Six-Day War and them declaring statehood, that they're back in their land. For 2,000 years, they weren't there. See, for 2,000 years, biblical prophecy could not have been fulfilled because there wasn't a nation over there. And in our lifetime, they're there. And now the clock is ticking. You see, God never left them. God never stopped using them. They are so huge in the prophetic time clock of what God is doing. God uses them. The church has not replaced Israel. The church is the church, and Israel is Israel. And, he, and he's not rejecting them. So Paul says this right out in Romans 11.1. 1, I say then, God has not rejected his people, has he? May it never be. God's not rejected them. He's still using them. I know that like everybody's looking at this, you know, the Ukraine and, and you know, freaking out about the Ukraine and we got invasion, we got war in Europe, um, nukes on high alert, always oh, you're gonna press a button and everybody that doesn't worry me as much as the Iran nuclear deal. That's what's got my attention. Because the whole Iran nuclear deal is back on the table and we're just going like this, like, don't do it. And they're enriching plutonium. And they're, they're moving towards nuclear weapons. And if you understand the mindset of Iranians, especially the leaders, not the people, right? They don't want peace. They want the annihilation of Israel. And if they get nukes, they will use them. And Israel understands this. And that's why I've always said, and I'll always say, my big fear is that one day we're going to wake up and all over the news it's going to be Israel nuked Iran. And the Bible says that the nations of the world will come against them and reject them because everyone's going to be like, why, why, why? And they're going to say, we can't let them get nuclear weapons because they're like, we're just a tiny little nation. They'll fry us off the planet. We can't allow that. We'll strike first. You let them develop this stuff and we'll take them out. They have to. It's just their survival is on the table. Then we are in end day scenario. Then the clock is ticking and everything's going to unwind really, really, really fast. So has God, is God done with them? No, of course not. He's still, he's still using them. So the, the, um, the rejection was not total. 
There's always been a remnant. There's always Jews getting saved. Next, uh, we're going to have the Seder presentation done by Jews for Jesus. Messianic Jews, Jews that believe that Jesus is their Messiah. That's happening all over the place. There's, there's tons of Jews in Israel that are Messianic Jews. They believe in their Messiah. The rejection was not final. All right, Yeah, they were, they were scattered. But look what it says in Romans 11.23. And they also, if they do not continue in their unbelief, there's that choice, will be grafted in, for God is able to graft them in. For you were cut off from that which is by nature a wild olive tree and were grafted contrary into a cultivated olive tree. How much more will these who are the natural branches be grafted into their own olive tree? So Paul, Paul is saying, like, listen, you know, let's look at horticultural for a minute. You got a, you got a tree here. It's a wild. It's a, it's a cultured olive tree. It's in a vineyard. It's producing. They didn't believe, so they were broken off from that. You being outside are wild, but we're going to graft you in to the covenants of God and the plan of God through Jesus Christ. And if that works for you, how much more they, when they believe, will be grafted right back in? In other words, how much more will God save them as his people and bring them back in? Because he is God and he's working this all out. Now, when we look at the Bible, we look at Ezekiel chapter 7, right? There's a valley of dry bones. That's the nation of Israel. And God tells Ezekiel, prophesy. And the bones start rattling and they come together and then sinews on the bone and then muscles on the bone and then flesh and organs on the bone. And then he, God breathes into them and they stand up and it's a great army. That's the nation of Israel. Zechariah tells us that the nation will be saved in one day. They will look upon him whom they have pierced and they will be saved. So God is going to graft them back in. God will, as a matter of fact, the Bible talks about 144,000. That's not the Jehovah Witnesses. Dear Lord, the next time they come to your doorbell, just punch them right in the face. No, I'm just kidding. No, but like, like the 144,000, it tells us who they are in the book of Revelation. They're 144,000 Jews that are Messianic evangelists that are evangelizing the entire, entire nation of Israel during the tribulation period. There's a great ingathering, like the Jews are coming to Christ. And so Paul starts out in chapter 9 with this cry for help, like, is the Bible fail? Has the Old Testament prophets fail? Did God's plan for Israel fail? And he ends with chapter 11, and he says this, Oh, the depths of the, both the, the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and unfathomable his ways. For he has, who has known the mind of the Lord, or who became his counselor, or who was first given to him that it might be paid back to him again? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory and glory forever. Listen, who, who, can, who can give God a good idea? Like, ooh, 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 God, I got a good idea. Like, you should try this. And God is like, dude, you don't even understand my knowledge or my wisdom. Like, you know, God is omniscient. He knows everything all the time. Like, God knew quantum physics back in the day of, you know, Adam and Eve. God knew, you know, the, the technology that your cell phones run on back in the days of the Vikings, right? God, God knows everything. So he's like, listen, you're not going to give God a great idea. That's what Abraham did when he's like, I think I'll have sex with my handmaid and have a kid myself. And that turned out to be a big debacle because Ishmael became the father of all the Arab nations who now persecute the descendants of Isaac. 
So this is what happens when we try to get our hands in the pie and say, hey, God, I got a good idea that this will work this way. He works out things after his will, not our will. All we have to do is trust him because he's saying, listen, who's on the mind of the Lord? He's got this thing wrapped up. This thing is waterproof. This thing is fail-proof. It is not going to misfire. God is in control. Everything is going exactly the way he wants. He is not caught off guard. He didn't wake up and say, oh my God, Putin's invading Ukraine. Like, he knows everything from the beginning to the end. And so how much more, as a believer in Christ, should you have it together? And say, it doesn't matter what goes on on this planet. Because number one, I am not even a citizen of this planet. I'm a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. I'm looking like Abraham for a city whose builder and maker is God. I'm only passing through. Have you ever gone through Harlem? I guarantee you, if you drive into Harlem, you will only pass through. You're not going to stop to get gas or anything else. You're going to pass through. And that's this world. Like, we're just passing through. I don't want to get too comfy or too cozy or too invested in this world because it's passing away. It's the Titanic, man. It's hit the iceberg. It's going down. I don't want to buy another room on the Titanic when the thing's sinking, right? And so we should just have so much confidence. look, Look, through him, to him, be glory forever. He's got this thing wrapped up, and you and I are just going along for the ride. We're just going along for the ride. You know, funny story, I'll throw this in closing. We were hiking um, Jennings Peak yesterday, and there's a series of that, there's a part of that trail that's darn near vertical, and it was ice covered by five inches of powder. And so two of us made it up, and the third guy didn't even want to try it. He was like, that's too dangerous. So we went ahead and summited Jennings Point. We came back down. And now we're faced about like, how do you get down? Now we got spikes on, right? So the first guy went down and you know he stumbled and fell and he got down. And he's hiding behind a tree. He's looking at me like this because he sees it coming. I start working down and my feet go right out from underneath me. And I am now on my butt and on my back and I'm sliding downhill. And we're talking like a good 50 to 60 feet. And in my mind, because my mind is racing, it's like, grab that tree. Foom, that didn't work. You know, my body weight against one little tiny arm. And so I like, grab that second tree. And I try to bear hug it, foom, right through. And now my, my mind is thinking, it's like, ooh, this could not turn out good, Ken, because I'm gaining speed. And I'm like going really, really fast. And I've got hiking poles. And I'm like, Ugh. and I see Dave. And so I, I hit the one tree with my foot. My hiking pole hits the tree. It's a spike on the end of the hiking pole. Dave's face is like this for the tree, and it hit the tree. I told him, I said, I could have made you uglier than you already are. That was scary. And, and, and I kept on going, and I'm like, well, I, I will stop eventually. It might not be pretty, you know, and then I saw two trees, and I just both feet, and I hit it just right, and I stopped. But that slide, I was out of control. Listen, you are on a slide with God, but he's got control. There's nothing that's going to catch him off guard that hits your life. You might get a pink slip. I love my job. The world's coming up. Listen, he knew about it. He's got it under control. COVID hit. Everybody comes on route. He's got it under control. I mean, just the other day, our government said, it's done. That worked out pretty good. So trust him. 
trust him and don't get comfortable with the things of this world. It is not our home. We're just pilgrims passing through. Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful for just this grace revealed in Romans chapter 1 through chapter 11 of your incredible story of salvation, the good news of God in the person of Jesus Christ. And we're so thankful that when we dig into scriptures, we unmine more and more gold, more and more revelation. And so, Lord, may, may we never lose heart uh, about, about whether you've got this thing sewn up or not, because emphatically you do. And so we have great confidence and trust that you are our God, that you will pull us through, that one day will be a day of rejoicing. And yes, this is not it. And we're in the middle of a spiritual warfare and we fight our flesh and we fight the world and we fight the devil. But you cause us to overwhelmingly triumph through Christ. And that's where our eyes are. And we're so thankful to you. In Jesus' mighty name, and everyone said, amen and amen, amen. Remember, as you're leaving, if you haven't signed up for prayer, the chart is out there. And if you want to be a part of a group, please sign up or see Rainy and talk to Rainy about it. God bless you. Have a wonderful week.